and Joe. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where everyone is trying to get a piece of Immortan Joe in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 111, which begins with Corpus Colossus and the War Pups watching Max from their platforms, and it ends with Corpus suddenly looking very nervous to be surrounded by children. (laughs) Well, aren't we all? It's just that there's a lot of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. As we start this minute, we're looking at a group of war pups sitting on the edge of the platform surrounding Corpus Colossus with one war pup watching through mounted binoculars. Somewhere on that continent, there is a national park that has been stripped of all of its novelty viewing binoculars. They've been stripped out and brought here to the Citadel because they've got one on this platform. They've got one mounted on a pole that they carry around in the Giga Horse that we saw back during the Monsters at Rest scene. They love using these things. And I kind of love that they stripped out the coin-operated aspect of it so you can just always use it. I think it's a shame that we didn't get a coin on a string (laughs) so you could pop it in and pull it back out. You don't want a Blazing Saddle situation where... They're trying to look through the binoculars and someone's like, someone's got to go back and get a load of dimes. (laughs) But the main thing that I think of when I'm looking at this initial shot of all the war pups is behold the mighty fighting force that was left behind to defend the Citadel. They're adorable. I love that they're just sitting on the edge of this platform. Curious more than anything else. And I do want to point out that there is one war pup He's kneeling on the edge of the platform, like leaning on his arms, and he's pretty far forward. And he's one of the few that has the black eye sockets. Mm -hmm. And the way he's sitting makes it look like his head is tilted way down and his eyes are looking way up, Mm -hmm. like all scary and (laughs) creepy-like. I'm not sure if it's an illusion just because of the makeup or if he is just a weird kid. Both. Looking at this group... All of them are weird kids. They're war pups. How can they not be weird? And I love the age ranges. This is not a uniform group of kids. They are made to look uniform because they're wearing literal uniforms. Yeah. Jinko jeans and white body paint. Yeah. But even now their paint is different. Some of them have the eyes and some of them don't. And... You can clearly see the age difference between them. Mm -hmm. Down crouched in front, there's one kid who's got to be like five or six. He looks itty bitty. But then in the back, there's a kid standing up who looks like practically ready to be a war boy. Yeah. So I love the variety here. I like how the war pup that's standing behind the binoculars has the lines drawn on his mouth. That make it look like skeleton teeth. Mm -hmm. And when you look at his hands in different shots of this minute, they are filthy. Yeah, I feel like that war boy, first of all, he's more painted than anybody else. Because like you said, the lips have been painted. So I think he has already 
been promoted to do things. And some of those things get him dirty. Yeah. He might be the one who maintains those viewers. Back when we first saw Corpus Colossus in his chair there during the scene where they first noticed that Furiosa was going off the rails, did we talk at all about how that chair moves around? No, we didn't. Because I wanted to believe that there was a complicated series of channels in the ceiling that the chair rolled along, sort of like a window curtain or something like that. But in this scene, you can very clearly see that his seat is hanging off of one of those foldable engine cranes. Like you can get at any other automotive store. Wait, you mean just like the Blackfinger from... Road Warrior? Just like the Blackfinger from Road Warrior. His crane was a lot more complex, but yeah, the same idea. Oh, I love that. And by the way, that chair on a track thing, that actually exists. For people in hospice care type of thing, right? Yeah. Like they can't move around very well. Yeah, for people who can't move themselves around. And honestly, when you're in your own home and you're trying to move from your bed to your bathtub or to the toilet or to the dining table, putting them in and out of a wheelchair just to move them a couple of feet is incredibly inconvenient. And that's a lot of work. So there are these track systems and the individual's in a sling, and then you can easily move them short distances that are just too long to do it manually. Like a stone's throw distance. Yeah. When you consider that the old person probably can't throw stones very far. They're intended to be like housewide. You can go to every room in your house and do the things that are activities of daily living. Retain a little bit of independence, even if you don't have all of the physical ability that you once did. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. So what the war pup is looking at is Max climbing over the shrouded shape. It's an angle from Max's left. He's very clearly looking up at the lift. You can see the wretched behind him and everything like that. And we cut from the viewfinder shot to a lower angle shot outside of the viewfinder of Max making sure to move very slowly and deliberately. And it's then that we cut back up to Corpus and the war pup. And the war pup is letting him know that he's got something. What I immediately notice is that the next time we go to viewfinder perspective, it's from a different angle. More straight on. Yeah. So according to the two different angles, there are two different viewfinders on Max. Now, the way it is interpreted to us is that there's not. It's just that one war pup looking through that one viewfinder. Mm -hmm. But according to the angles, it's got to be two different ones. And from that second angle, we see Max lean down, grab the edge of the sheet, and as he yanks it away... We cut closer in a head and shoulder shot of Immortan Joe with his face completely torn off. And I'm actually surprised that Immortan Joe left such a clean corpse. The blood seems to have stopped pooling at his neck ruffles, the fabric there, and it has not leaked down anywhere else onto his outfit. His armor is pristine. His shirt underneath is still very clean. There's a little bit of blood spattering on his forehead. But other than that, there's not that much blood that's gone everywhere. That's real interesting because he spent quite a bit of time sitting upright-ish in the driver's seat. Yeah. After being defaced, 
where blood would be spurting out of his neck holes and down all over himself. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he should be a lot more bloody than he actually is. And they don't have the war rig anymore with all its liquid contents to wash him off. Yeah, they don't have all of that sour mother's milk to clean him off. I do feel like that's a little bit of a continuity issue. Not one that I really care to obsess over, but he should be more bloody. (laughs) I do not think that this is Hugh Keysburn. I think this is a dummy. Oh, for sure. And I can tell you one giveaway, and it's not like 100% giveaway, but something I just noticed. You see Joe's tongue? Mm Mm-hmm. I distinctly remember back when we saw his face get ripped off and I was like, ooh, is that his tongue? And it was. It's in the same position. Oh. Because this is a prosthetic. The whole thing is fake. The whole face is fake. And it's the same fake face from back when it got to be that way. All right. Good catch. As we cut back out to the wide shot, Max is standing there. He's got his hands up. He's just unveiled that it's a Morton Joe. And in that instance, what else can you do but just lay it all out there? Right. He's waiting for the reaction, which I don't know. It could go absolutely any way. They could all be like, our liberator or you killed our master. Really could go either way. Yeah. We get a general gasp from the audience. For sure. Everyone's like, I'm not good at doing sound effects for audiences, but you get the idea. (laughs) I really appreciate that it doesn't take Max long to disrespect the body, to treat it poorly, and he shoves it off the edge of the truck. I like how, before we get to see him throw it off, that we get a reaction from the lift guys where they're like, oh, it's a Morton Joe. Oh no, it's the boss. He's dead. And then, like you said, Max rolls him off of the Giga Horse and the wretched swarm in. Yeah. I do not know what to think about this. Neither do I. And I mentioned on Wednesday, I was talking about them taking apart the Giga Horse. Mm -hmm. And I said that I would bring it up again today. This is where I'm bringing it up. Because if this is what they do to his body, you know they're going to do the same thing to his truck. I think. They're going to rip it apart. One of the reasons why the wretched are swarming like this and tearing Joe limb from limb is because these people are so used to worshiping him that they want to treat his remains in much the same way that the Catholics treat saintly remains. Really? You don't think they want to eat him? I think they want to have a piece of the water bringer. They want to have some... They want relics. Relic, yes, exactly. Something that they can put next to a rock and be like, this is a relic of a Morton Joe. A Morton Joe brought water from the stones. And so we have this, it will produce water from the stones because they just, Oh my gosh, that's, I don't think they're that dumb. Really? Cause I feel like they've been living in this situation for so long. All they know is living in the shadow of this guy. And he comes out every so often. He's like, I am your redeemer. I'm going to save you. Look, here's water. And then you're my friends, but don't get addicted to water because you'll resent its absence. I think they want relics. I assumed that they were going to eat him. He's meat. They're starving. That could be what people who are grabbing flesh are doing. I think it could be both. 
the people that grab pieces of armor, metals, things like that probably want relics. People that are grabbing arms and legs and chunks of flesh, they're definitely hungry. I can definitely see your point of view. I don't like it. It upsets me that these people are so into their cult leader that they think having a piece of him will bring them water. That is very disturbing to me that they would be so gullible and dumb. But as I'm saying these words, I can think of plenty of real life situations. Mm -hmm. How many people go crazy because a rock star throws a T-shirt that they pull off on stage and they throw it out into the crowd? Yeah. People go crazy about that. Not even T-shirts at concerts, sporting events. Some guy hits a foul ball in baseball into the crowds and people go crazy for that baseball diving over chairs and fighting for it. And that's just a baseball. They don't even worship those players. I mean, some people do, but... Yeah, for sure they do. That you can think of off the top of your head without having to dig into the internet. Has that sort of fervor ever translated into physical harm? Manson? I'm not, like, super-duper familiar with him. Explain that to me. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that Charles Manson drummed up enough of a following that he inspired people to murder okay now he's still alive no one's torn him apart or anything like that they, right. they're letting him rot but when it comes to fanatical devotion that leads to violence that's the first thing that i think of okay the more i think about it the more i think your explanation is certainly plausible i still don't like it well for some reason i find it more palatable that they're tearing him apart so that they can consume him so that they can cannibalize him I don't know why I find that more palatable. I look at this situation and all I can think of is those people that meet a celebrity and that celebrity signs a body part like an arm or a breast or something like that. And then they run out to a tattoo parlor and have the signature tattooed. Mm. I guess that level of fervor and devotion is appropriately disturbing to me. It makes me uncomfortable Mm. because nobody should be that devoted to something. To resort to violence. They're delusional, I think is what I'm actually getting at. That these people think that having a relic or a trinket from a Morton Joe's body, they're delusional thinking that it'll do anything, and then they're willing to tear him apart to get at it. I don't know. I Well, there are relics out in the world, Christian relics. If I'm not mistaken, somebody has John the Baptist's finger. Yeah, I don't know. It's a bothersome thing to think about. It is. <laughs> So I think you've mostly sold me on your way of thinking about this scene, this moment, this tearing apart, that it is a religious slash cult fervor. I don't want to go so far as to try and say, oh, yeah, this is just like X religion doing this thing. I think this is a very extreme example of this sort of behavior. (laughs) It's kind of scary, actually. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) I agree with you there, for sure. Thankfully, there's so much brown going on and so much dust being kicked up that it's actually not really easy to see exactly what's happening. Oh, yeah. It's all implication at this point. It is. We don't know for a fact they ripped his body apart. Perhaps his body is now laying naked on the ground because they have pillaged it of all the metal and armor and this and that. 
So if we want to sleep better tonight, that's what we can think. Yeah, we can tell ourselves that. I will definitely do that to help me Because sleep I don't think we have proof that they ripped his body apart. But they did. They you totally know, did. Yeah, if someone wants to go frame by frame and find all of the disparate parts of Immortan Joe, weird hobby. But sure, go for it. I'm not going to stop you. I was going to say, isn't that what we do? There are some things even I won't do. <laughs> Speaking of going frame by frame, getting off of tearing Joe apart, right around second 29, there is a shot of Max standing on the front of the Giga Horse, and he looks from where Joe is on the ground, and then he turns his head to look upwards. This shot is reversed. It's tricky to catch because the smoke looks like it's going in the correct direction. But if you look at Max, the way that he moves his head is very unnatural. And it actually looks like he's breathing in reverse. It's subtle. It is. But it is there. I think the giveaway is that his breathing looks odd. You can see his chest moving and it does look odd. And the motion of his head. I agree. There's also something about the waving of the flags behind him that feels odd. But they wanted the shot of Max looking from Immortan Joe's body up to the elevator again, because him looking up prompts all of the war pups, once we get all those shots of the wretched, to turn back and look at Corpus. And Corpus looks from all of the war pups to his binocular boy, and he looks very nervous because they're all watching Joe get torn apart by the crowd. Yes. And so Corpus is probably thinking, oh man, am I next? I'm next. He seems to be afraid of his war pups. And I don't know, maybe he should be. It's a numbers thing. It is. But I don't know. So the war pups, they all turn to look at Corpus, which could be an intimidating thing. It could feel like... They are inspired by the destruction of Joe and want to finish the job with Corpus. But that's not how I read it. I read it as what happens now. Mm -hmm. You are the new de facto leader. Lead us. Yeah. They're looking for guidance. They're looking for comfort. They're looking for what do we do next? Yeah. What do you want us to do? The Immortan is dead. Long live the Immortan. Exactly. That's how I see it. And perhaps it's entirely possible that that is how Corpus sees it, too, and is utterly unprepared to take on that leadership role and is terrified by the idea of that leadership role. I like both ways of looking at it. I like the way that you just suggested. I like him being very concerned that he could have a coup on his hands because Immortan Joe is dead. Immortan Joe ruled through fear and coercion and violence. And while Corpus has the brains and the know-how and the management skills to keep things running, he can't turn around and direct the might of a war party because he doesn't have one. All of them left with the Morton Joe. And now a Morton Joe is back and he's dead. Is this the last time that we see Corpus? We probably see him a bit next week. Just little shots here and there. Okay. But in the comic book, he does survive this movie. Furiosa doesn't get to the top of the Citadel and then toss him out. That would be foolish. Yeah, because he is the general manager of the Citadel. It's like we were talking about before. Once the prior administration is done away with, 
the number one way to keep things running smoothly is to have someone from that prior administration to help roll things over. Continuity of government. Exactly. If everybody who knows how to run the government is gone, then nobody knows how to run the government. Got to have at least a little bit of overlap. And Corpus's specialty, like we've reiterated several times, is management. He keeps the gears turning. Mm -hmm. Running this machine that is a city. So why not keep him around if he's willing to work with you? Although that does bring me to mind of the relationship with Auntie and Master Blaster. Mm -hmm. Master Blaster was the one who kept things running. And by the time we joined Bartertown, the only reason he is still around is because he keeps things running. Politically, Auntie was done with him. He's got those Wanted secrets. him gone. So Corpus having those abilities is only going to get him so far. There's going to come a point where the new leadership is like, I'm done with you. If you can't offer me more, if you can't offer something beyond just the mechanics of running the Citadel, then you are more of a liability to me because of who you are. Do you think Corpus is that proud or arrogant? I think he might have a tough transition. I don't know enough about him, and I'm not sure we as a public know enough about him to say that he is arrogant or proud. But what we do know is that he has been raised with a certain level of authority, a certain level of, I dare say, luxury, comparatively. And if that changes, I don't know. It could not sit well with him. Mm -hmm. And especially now with this new government moving in, he's got a lot of power. He may be deposed, but he still has a lot of power. He could choose not to cooperate. Mm hmm in which case, they would probably make his life kind of hard. Maybe string him up and dip him down into the muck. Oh, not to, the pigs. To coerce him into cooperation. Not the pigs. Or even worse, they dip him into the war pups. Oh. They're sticky I fingers. Just, I don't know. I how, just, how are their fingers sticky? There's nothing sticky in the post-apocalypse, but their fingers are still sticky. Oh, I'll bet they have hives up there. Beehives. I'll bet I they have say, honey. I thought you were saying like hives where the, where, the, where the little war pups crawl up into these honeycomb things in the wall and that's where they sleep. No, 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 no. If you want to have greenery, you, gotta have, you pollinators. have to have pollinators. So I'll bet they have beehives up there, which means they have honey, which mm. means they can get sticky. Gross. Tank kids. Because they're children and they'll figure out a way. We need to get back into the viewfinder because aside from people stealing relics off of Joe's body, we pan over and see that the wives climb out the back of the Giga Horse. We've got the Dag with the bag of seeds. We've got Toast, Cheeto, and Capable who have survived this ordeal. And as we tilt down, we see Furiosa climbing out the door of the Giga Horse. And then it looks like Jillian closes the door behind them so that they can drive forward. But it's at this point that the people in the crowd see Furiosa and they start shouting her name. The people apparently love Furiosa. I can agree with you on that front, but I don't think I have to agree with you. I think that there is an option that they are calling her name simply because they know who she is. I could see them viewing her as a folk-style hero. She is the war rig driver. She is the one that makes the grand expeditions to the bullet farm 
and Gastown, and she brings these things back for the Immortan. She is the arm that he uses to stretch out over the wasteland and control things because she is the driver of that war rig. Yeah, I like that you called her a folk hero, and I'll bet there are folk stories that the wretched tell each other this oral history that they have. I'll bet the wretched know how she lost her arm. Probably. I'll bet it's a story that they tell their children. And it probably gets more and more fantastic with each telling. Yeah, they shouldn't be the one to write the screenplay. No. We'll get this crazy tale. That's how you get mortal engines. Exactly. So they see her as a comforting figure, as something familiar, especially since they just lost their leader. So, yeah, I think I've talked myself into seeing that they're crying out her name as a distinctly positive thing instead of a neutral thing. And as we cut back up to the platform, the binocular war pup is like, oh, she's back. That does lead me to wonder how much the general populace and also the war pups left behind knew about what was going on out there in the waste. We knew that the war boys were shouting about treason, betrayal, and Imperator gone rogue, but how much did that exactly disseminate through the entire Citadel? Right. Did they know that Furiosa was the rogue Imperator? She's not the only Imperator that was out there. Yeah. It could kn- have been anyone. They did know it was Furiosa because that's how Max found out that it was Furiosa. That blood bank war boy who was running by and he's like, Furiosa! Oh, that's right. Okay, yep, yep, yep. It was a while ago. It was a long time ago. Next question Did the general populace and the war boys know that the wives had been taken? They knew that the breeders had been taken. Well, the wives and the breeders are the same people. Yeah. So I'm going to just say yes. Okay. I wonder if the wives have a sort of maternal benevolent reputation amongst the general populace. Kind of like... And I know in our current environment, this might not be the greatest comparison, but in general, the first ladies of the United States, they are seen as charitable and caring. They're like the mothers of the United States. And every first lady has been different, some more, some less so. They've each had their particular issues that they have focused on. So I wonder if the wives are kind of viewed similarly, like these are... The mothers of our society. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that the wives are locked away, hidden away. They have as little contact with the outside world as humanly possible. I'm going to take that same question and apply it to the milking mothers. Do you think they have any sort of general maternal reputation? I think their situation is even worse because I think they are... Locked away similarly, but not as securely. I think more of the war boys know about the milking mothers than know about the wives. Okay. They probably know where in the Citadel the milking mothers are, but they've probably never been there themselves. And that certainly doesn't surprise me from Joe's point of view, because Joe is aggressively patriarchal. Yeah. Going back to comparison I made earlier about the First Ladies of the United States... That is a shared publicity with the president. Again, some more than others, they are seen as partners Mm -hmm. and they support each other. And Joe would never have that sort of partnership with his wives. He would never share the spotlight. No. It's just not his way. I want to continue that comparison 
with the very end of this minute where Max brings Furiosa out onto the hood of the truck because the people need to see her. The people don't know Max. Mm-hmm. He means nothing to them. They have never seen him before in their lives. So the wives come up. Honestly, the people might not really know who the wives are either. So they're not the symbol that the people need. The people need to see Furiosa. And I point this out especially because Furiosa really shouldn't be climbing around. She should still be laying on that bed in the back of the truck. She shouldn't be moving. So I think it was important for her to come out and be seen by everybody. She's got that magic fairy princess blood coursing through her veins now. But as much as it may be what the doctor ordered, what the doctor would really want is a prolonged recovery period. Speaking of prolonged recovery period, it occurs to me that we never saw the demise of the organic mechanic, did we? He just kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. The last time we saw him was with Ang Herod and the baby. And the, then he never shows up again? And he never shows up again, which is a shame because as far as doctors go, he was pretty much all the Citadel really had, and Furiosa really needs him. He could still be out there in the wasteland. We don't know what happens when the war party cleans up the Giga Horse and the war rig in much the same way that it cleaned up all the rocks and they eventually get back to the Citadel. They cleaned up that pass once. There's nothing saying they can't do it again. Nope. The only thing that's different is they lack Joe and his maniacal motivation. Yeah. They lack someone calling the shots, which I'm sure there's an Imperator that would try to rise up and take charge. And that Imperator would probably be shot on sight. And then the war boys would just have to fall in line or go away. Yes. I still have so many questions. I'm not sure if we want to talk about it now or if we want to leave it for another time. The governance of the other two locations. Mm. Let's save that for another time. Okay. Maybe next week, maybe the week after. Yeah, we've got analyzing to do still. Exactly. We got plenty of credits to go through. So we'll tackle that at a later time. We are here at the end of the week, so come back on Monday when the Wretched decide that Furiosa should be let up the elevator, the War Pups will take matters into their own hands, and the Giga Horse will begin to rise. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us from Minute 111 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.